Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. Continuing our series today, though, uh, the legacy of Jesus, where typically Christmas time is a time where we kind of examine the birth of Christ, and kind of, I know it's crazy how Jesus during this time literally is at the forefront of everything. Going to Bush Gardens a couple days back, we're walking into Bush Gardens, and the song ringing out as you are walking into Bush Gardens is "Christ the Savior is." I mean, it's like. Do these people even know what they're saying, right? It's just like, you know, like Jesus is, is right at the, the, the center of our culture right now. And so instead of just diving in into during this series, just the birth of Jesus, we've been saying, let's explore the, like, the legacy of Jesus. And by legacy, we simply mean this, like what has Jesus left behind? Like even when 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 you look at people's opinions and what they think about Jesus, and we had a couple of them on the bumper video that we just, uh, that we just showed, where you've got like Gandhi, didn't see Jesus as being savior, but as a great teacher. You had John, John Lennon, who was, was, was like, Jesus is great, but you know what, rock and roll was probably gonna be bigger than Jesus. You know, it's just like, people have various opinions about who Jesus is is and about the legacy that Jesus left. But with this series, we have been saying, let's, let's actually look at the legacy that Jesus left and then as Christ followers, ex- examine what legacy are we to recognize. And here is the key point. Then carry on that legacy behind us. And so today I, I want to talk to you about Jesus's legacy of love. Before we do that, though, would you please stand up with me? And we are going to say our prayer together before we dive into God's word. Honestly, y'all, I, I say this a lot, but I consider these times that we come together to study the Bible as sacred times of, of, of where during this time, as we come to, together and collectively and corporately, uh, you, know, you know, basically come under the word of God, I believe this has the power to change your life. And it's not because of something that I will say. It will be something of what the Spirit is doing inside. That while I'm talking, the Spirit is working. That, he, that, that honestly, whenever I prepare, I feel like the kid that came to Jesus and gave him his lunch to feed thousands. Do you remember that story? Where it's like, it's like a thousand of people hung, hungry. They didn't have no food, and the one kid's like, yo, I got five loaves and two fish, and Jesus is like, I can work with that. And, and seriously, every Sunday, I feel like I come, and I'm like, God, I got five loaves and two fish. Take it and bless it, and give your people what they need today. And so today, we're going to give God what we got, and, and I'm going to trust that the Spirit of God is going to speak and change and challenge each of you today, and give you what you need today. Amen. Amen. All right, so, so we're going to say a corporate prayer. That, that prayer will be on the screen behind me. And if you would pray this with me, I'm going to start out. If you feel comfortable, lift, lift up hands in a, in a posture of reception. And 
we're going to pray this prayer. I'm, I'm going to start off if you would join in with me, all right? Spirit of God, open up my ears to hear, my eyes to see, my mind to understand, and my heart to discern what you want to speak to me today. You have my full attention. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. So a, a legacy of love. I think that we would all, even if you don't believe Jesus is the Savior, you don't believe, like, it do, probably doesn't matter who you would question or who you would ask about Jesus. If you were to simply ask them, what did Jesus leave behind? What was Jesus known for? One of the qualities would probably be love. That one of the, the legacies that Jesus left behind was a legacy of love. And it's actually what Jesus said, how people would know who those who followed him have. So what Jesus said is this, right? He said this in John 13, 35. This was, this was right before he died. This was right before he went into Passion Week. He said this. Can we put that up? He says, your love, and he's talking to his disciples here. He said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Like, basically, what, what he's saying, the proof to other people that, that I am your God and that you follow me will not be in how much Bible knowledge you have. It will not be in how much money, it, it, said it, it will be the way that people will know you follow me will be by the way you what? Love. And this is littered throughout Scripture where Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, he even says, you could have the gift, the spiritual gift, speak in tongues, prophesy, have the gift, healing, and all of, of these things. He said you could actually die as a martyr. But then he says this, if you don't have love, you have nothing. This is how central love is. And really, even when you think about the Christmas story, and what we celebrate, the fact that Jesus came down to planet Earth, don't get confused on what that was. It was a mission of love. Christmas is a celebration and, and really an identification and an example of love, of what love is. Why? Because Jesus went from the peace of heaven to the, to the hell of Earth. The peace of Heaven to the chaos of earth. He left the comfort of heaven to come down into the chaos that we all know is planet earth. Do not get confused. That was an act and mission of love. Can't, can't we all like know whenever we are seeing sacrificial love in our world? I mean, here's the thing, right? Have you ever seen a spouse caring for their spouse when their spouse is sick and that spouse can do nothing for them, but that spouse lays their life down and makes it their life purpose to take care of them. Can't, doesn't something just rise up inside of you that says that's, that's love? I, I, I saw walking into One Life on Friday, there was, there was a guy, an old man, old woman, you could tell they were married, they had rings on, and this 
He had this walker, and he was literally walking like this. And she was right beside him, just walking with him, not like putting it on his back. You know, it was, and when I saw that, I'm, I'm like, okay, I don't know what's going on with me, but that's making me want to cry. I got like tears welling up. Why? Because I'm like, that's love. That's not convenient. That's not self-serving. That, that, that isn't like Hollywood. That's love. Why? Because it's sacrificial. When you see somebody that runs into a burning building or into a burning car to save someone else, what do we all feel? That's love. So when we think about the Christmas story, let us not forget what the Christmas story is ultimately is, it is, a, it, it is an act of love of the God of the universe who created scripture says nothing was, was not created without Jesus. Jesus coming down and taking the form of a human being and experiencing what we have experienced, walking through what we have experienced. It was ultimately all an expression of love. If you ever wonder, does Jesus love you? Christmas should be a reminder for you. He loves you so much he came after you. He loves you so much he, you can't outrun him. Unfortunately, Santa has got that you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not hide. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. I'm telling you, Jesus came to town for you. And you can't outrun it. You can't miss it. He loves you. So when we're talking about, though, this this particular love that Jesus showed and this legacy that Jesus left behind. When I was thinking about love, and isn't it true that whenever you live more life, life can get a little more complicated? And here's the key word, nuance. Where you kind of go from these black and white principles to kind of realizing a lot of life is not all black and white. A lot of it is in the gray. And how you can sometimes start off with these definitions that sound simple, easy, and practical. Yet the more you live, the more you realize things aren't as simple and pretty as you would like them to be. Anybody been there? Like you've had to take a hard dose of, re of reality and been like, oh wow, this isn't what I thought it was. When I was thinking about love, this is when, when, when I started to plan and think about the legacy that Jesus left and what he calls us to actually leave leave behind and study in the life of Jesus, as much as we want to say Jesus was love and how black and white that is, I think sometimes we actually have to say, well, actually, let's dive in and actually look at the life of Jesus and see what the definition of love is. Because here's the thing, love is, here's the thing, easy in theory, but messy and complicated in practice. Where yeah, love just just love, bro. Like love, yeah. Let's let's love each other. But I think that's hard because we all have different definitions. Where you know, here's the thing, right? Gary Smalley, he is a counselor. He came out with this book that kind of went berserk and is kind of the center now of a whole lot of of marriage counseling called the five love languages have you guys ever heard of that book if you haven't 
I mean, it's kind of become this like cult thing, like what's your love language, all right? You know, and most people know, it's like, well, you know, my, time, you know, acts, my acts of service. You know, it's, it's quality time, it's physical touch. And what this counselor did is he realized we can all be using the same word but have different definitions. So you can say, I love you, but if the person you're saying you love doesn't speak the same language and have the same definition of what your definition of love is, you could be loving them in your, in your definitive term, but they aren't receiving it because they have a completely different definition. And, 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 and so what he tried to do is he tried to say, here are the five languages that people can have when it comes to love. That so you can actually, when you're saying you're loving someone, so just a great example, my love language there, they said there's five of them, is physical touch and words of affirmation. And I tell my wife, just touch me and tell me I'm great. <laughs> and literally, I don't need a gift because like one of them is gifts, another one is um, quality time, acts of service. I'm like, babe, I'll cook dinner, I don't care. I need one night, like, I don't need a whole lot of time, and you don't got to buy me nothing. Just hug me, love me, tell me I'm awesome, and those are my languages. <laughs> she's, the comp- <laughs> she's the complete opposite. So the, the, at least the way she is today, <laughs> that could change next week. I'm not sure. The languages are always morphing. You know, you know what I'm saying? So I got to be on my guard. What's the language this week? Is she in here? Good. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Right? Where it's, it's, where it's just like Kristen most of the time is, 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 is like quality time. Is, is uh, words of affirmation. So it's, it's more of not just like actually being present with her and not just present with her in the physical way, but present with her emotionally present with her like I'm, I'm not there on my phone working. I'm there with her. That's what communicates love to her. But this isn't just my relationship like, 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 this, like, like this is all of y'all, but what I'm communicating here is that when it comes to love, you got to make sure that we have the same term. Like whenever you say the legacy of love that Jesus left, we have to ensure that we have the same definition of love that Jesus does. Because not only so you can love others, so you can be loved. Okay, so here's, here's the thing, right? Here, here, here is a, a thought of how we form definitions. Because I can guarantee if I went to any of you separately and just said, tell me what you think love is, your response would be a combination of these variables, right? Experiences, like your personal experiences. Like where if you were abused... I can almost guarantee one of the qualities of love for you is, is, is someone that is kind, right? Or, or here's the thing, experience is education, so knowledge. It's like the way you form definitions is not just by what you experience, but, but by what you learn. Also, two relationships. Like relationships form and shape us. Like how you've interacted with, with others, they've interacted with you and your relationships. And, these, and this is not a comprehensive list. These are just four, four things that I thought were the main ones. But, but then cultural influences. So these could be anything from what you hear or see 
or watch. It's just like, you know, it's like there was this way that culture has shaped and formed us through Hollywood and songs, movies. And when you take all of this together and you kind of squash it together, there's a reason why we all have different definitions. And as much as we want to say, let's just love, bro, it's so hard. Easy in theory, complicated in practice. Is anybody feeling this? So that is why as Christians, as those that follow Jesus, what we have to do is we have to take these, these things that have formed us and shape us and bring them to the foot of Jesus and say, Jesus, we need you to help me through what I've experienced, through my relationships, through education, through cultural influences. Help me truly understand what the heck love is according to you because you are love, you made love, and you love me and you want me to love others. So it's almost getting on the same page with God. 1 John 3, 3, 16. This is not John 3, 16. This is 1 John 3, 16. This was a letter that the apostle John wrote to some some believers. He said this, this is how we know what love is. So, so, So what he's saying is like the way we even comprehend and even know what the heck love is, it says it's Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He laid his life down. So what John's saying here is that the beginning of the definition of love can't begin with culture. It can't begin with education. It can't begin with your, ex- with your experiences. The way we interpret and build our definition of love as a Christian, first off, has to go through the filter of Jesus. Is this good? Is this helping? So that's why, as a Christian, I just want to let you know it is imperative you study the life of Jesus. We're coming to a brand new year. You know, you're going to have this this internal intention to get better. So you're going to say, I want to read my Bible. I want to pray more, right? And and these are good things. So what I would encourage you to do, don't, like, start with the Gospels. Like, John, what are are the Gospels? The Gospels is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible. It's eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life from four different perspectives, four different people. And they wrote about the life of Jesus. Jesus. The reason why so many Christians don't look like Christ is because they don't study Christ. They're more influenced by culture, their experiences, education, and so that is why even the thing that is killing the church's influence is the fact that we don't love like Jesus. So when people look at the church, they're like, this Jesus guy looks pretty cool, but his church looks like a bunch of crazy people. So that's why, this is how we know what love is Jesus. So that, that's why I'm telling you today, don't get away from the Gospels. Because in the Gospels, you'll see how Jesus reacted to those who hated him. There you'll see how Jesus even put in place boundaries with people. Here you'll see how Jesus was emotionally healthy. You'll see how Jesus' life wasn't all lollipops and skipping through wild fields of wild flowers. It was insanity. It was, it was crazy. But in it, if you realize this is God acting as a person, then it will help you know and help you define what love is. So let me give you a couple examples even. When you look at the life of Jesus, how in our, maybe you have a definition where, where you would see Jesus do these things and you'd be like, well, that wasn't real loving. Let me give you one example. When, when in, in John chapter 2, it says Jesus did not entrust himself to the crowds because he knew what was in people. Well, that's not very loving. What? 
Jesus didn't entrust himself? No, it was, it was because Jesus knew the importance of boundaries. Love isn't, isn't just this be a doormat and just, I'm just going to kill myself on the altar. It's like Jesus knew he had to put in place boundaries with certain people. He loved the world. He died for the world, but he didn't have this unfailing trust with everybody. Well, was that real loving? Well, if Jesus is love and he did that, then also, too, whenever Jesus, he's having this interaction with the Pharisees. <laughs> this one gets me, y'all. He's having this interaction with the Pharisees, and they come to him, and he's talking with them. And literally, Jesus says, hey, just want to let you know, Pharisees, if you go and convert somebody to be what you are, a Pharisee, what you actually do is you actually make them twice the son of hell that you are. Now, that isn't very loving, Jesus. But do you know what love sometimes has to do? Tell the truth. And sometimes the, the truth isn't, isn't as nice as we want it to be. Whenever Jesus in, in um, I think it was John chapter 2, again, he <laughs> says he formed a whip. That means he made it. I mean, <laughs> just think about it. Like Jesus went and made a whip, went into the temple, and he turned over the tables of the money changers. So think about WWE cage match with tables Jesus is in there flinging tables telling people to get out who knows if he hit them if he didn't well Jesus that isn't very loving maybe according to your definition but do you know what Jesus was doing he was standing up against injustice because they were setting up and using their positions of authority to financially abuse and take advantage of people who genuinely wanted to seek God and he said, that isn't going to happen here. So the most loving thing Jesus could have done is going up and stood for injustice. But maybe you would even say, well, that's not real loving, according to your definition. Are we doing okay? Okay, just don't know, because when y'all get quiet, I get scared. So I'm just, here's the thing. I'm setting the foundation here for us to really see as we look at the life of Jesus, and I'm going to point out five things. I ain't got time to point out a hundred. I got time to point out five. Of when we look at Jesus' life, we have a somewhat definition of what love is. So we're going to dive in. Everybody ready? First off, love is a labor. Have you ever heard labor of love? If you know anything about loving a dog, a kid, another friend, if you dump your heart out for anything, I am a Jacksonville Jaguar fan. It is a labor of love. I can't believe I still love this team. We just fired our coach in the middle of the season. We suck, and we have sucked for years. And I'm like, why did I get into this relationship? But it is a labor of love. Like Jesus' life, he's not just the Savior, he's an example. And when you get in and you see the example that he said of, of what genuine, real, true love looks like, we can see love is not Hollywood. Love is not how Hollywood portrays it of these sports center highlights. Because what sports center highlights don't do is all the, the boring stuff in between the highlight plays. 
where if you're shaped and formed to think lunch, love is just this highlight, the highlight, the highlight, the highlight, and not like highlight, three months later, highlight, three <laughs> then you will be trained to think love. When love is not easy, you will think it's not love. Jesus shows us love is a labor. But what you'll find is love has this particular pattern, right? Here, here is kind of the way it goes. And if you are married, you'll realize this. It's like you got this excitement. This person's perfect. Love them. There is no wrong in me. Right? And then you realize when, when your expectation hits reality, what happens? There's disillusionment. People always say, expectations, the breeding ground for miracles. You know what I say? Expectations, the breeding ground for disappointment. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> uh, but I think you got to have the right, ex- the right expectations. But here's the thing, disillusionment where you hit this period of, of like, well, this isn't what I thought. I, I mean, I thought, you know, I, th- I, 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 th- I thought, and then it goes into this next stage, adjustment. And this is where love is, is real or love isn't. When you get into this adjustment phase, this is what I thought, this is, this is reality. Am I going to bridge the two and make the hard decision to swallow the pill to keep this thing moving, because if you keep it moving, you do the hard work, then typically what happens, and you know this if you've done it, growth happens. This is my marriage right here. And it seems like you wish it was just a one-time cycle. Y'all know the truth. And you can feel it. And you can feel it, can't, can't you? Like you can, even in your relationship with God, this is what it's like. God's blessing me, I feel God's presence. Man, it feels like I'm in a desert. I don't feel the love of God. Is God real? Should I keep on going? Is this a load of crap? And you get into this adjustment phase where, 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 you're, where you're like, what I believe about God isn't what I'm experiencing. Is he still true? Is this still real? And is this... And then you, you, you realize there is this adjustment phase where you have to work through and you have to maybe learn some new thoughts about God and learn some new patterns and follow God when you don't feel it because faith doesn't always have feelings associated with it. But you realize when you get through that portion, what's on the other side is growth. So here's, here, here's the point. When it's hard, know it's love. When it gets hard, just know that's the price of love. Real love, not Hollywood love. We're talking about God-like love. Because I don't know about you. God had moments, like think about Jesus in the garden where he is literally telling his dad, if there is anything you can do to make me not go through this process that I have to go through, would you take it away? But not my will, your will be done. It's those crucible moments that you will have, not if you have, but when you have them, that will determine what kind of love you give and what kind of love you experience. And Jesus showed us as he said, thy will be done instead of my will be done, he pushed through, paid the price, and we are now reaping the benefits of that love. Love is a labor. Secondly, Love is empowering 
and restricting. Let me say it this way. Love is freedom and love has boundaries. I have three children. Tell you about them all the time. Three boys, Jackson, Judah, Dallas. Who will undoubtedly associate love, my love for them, based on what they, what I allow them to do. So how much freedom I give them. How much time I let them play the video games. How much I give them to eat and allow them to eat sugar and drink sugary drinks. They love my freedom but hate my boundaries. And they immediately associate my boundaries as I don't love them. I mean, honestly, it's crazy. I don't teach them this. You are not going to drink a Capri Sun at 9 p.m. before bed. They will run away. You don't love me! This might have happened yesterday. I'm not saying it did, but it could have. And even the person that said this, the child who I will rename, remain nameless. But he had a birthday party yesterday <laughs> where we gave him gifts. I spent a chunk of money on giving him the freedom to celebrate his birthday. And I give him one boundary. And he hates and he thinks I don't love him. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound familiar? <laughs> well, what did she say? Uh, well, I, I, I want to come and hug you because first off, we listening to the word of God. Responding to the word of God. Come on, somebody. I love that. She's, I love that mentality. That's me. <laughs> She's got more courage. I, I won't go there. Than a lot of people in this, than a lot of people in this room, probably. Because many of us treat God the same, the same way. We love his freedom but hate his boundaries. And then we equate his boundary to he doesn't love us. So whenever God says, nope, you probably shouldn't do that sex, sex, sorry, kid. Probably shouldn't do that. Probably shouldn't buy that. You, you, you probably should not, should not live this way or live this lifestyle. So we equate that as God is trying to, he doesn't love us because he's not letting us do everything and think everything we want. So we take his boundary as being unloving. And when our freedom comes against God's boundary, that's when we'll see how much your love for God is really real. Let me say that one more time. When your freedom comes up against God's bound, bound, boundary, that's when your true motive and heart for God will be shown. Because then it will be, my will be done, or thy will be done. But this is so important in relationships, especially even around Christmas time. Because there are some relationships that you guys have where 
you know, there, the, whether there's relational conflict or whether, whether, whether there is just not clarity. On, it's, it's just like, let me just say this. It is not hate to put boundaries in place with certain people. To, now, here's the thing. The heart with which you do it is very important. Because even Jesus did not entrust himself to everybody. Even Jesus had boundaries with certain, with certain people. There was even this one said. Jesus knew that there was a threat to kill him in this country. And do you know what the Bible says? He didn't go there. You know why? Because he didn't want to get killed. He put in place a boundary. I'm not going there. And there are going to be some, some, some situations and some relationships, maybe even during Christmas season with family members or something like that, where, where, where you might need to lovingly put in place a boundary to lovingly care for your mental health and your sanity. And if somebody cannot accept your boundary... That's not your problem. That's not your problem. Because your happiness, or, or, or like every, everyone else's approval and everyone else's ha happiness is, is not your job. Now, it might be interpreted as not being loving, but that's okay. Neither was was forming a whip and going to the temple and hitting people. But like I said, the heart with which you do it is very important. It's not done with this like snobby, un-Jesus-like spirit. It better be done with the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit. And with the intention of realizing that, yes, there can be a path towards reconciliation, but do not think you are not being loving if you are putting in place a boundary with somebody or with something. It is freedom. Love is freedom, but love also has boundaries. Is this good? Is this helping you? Okay, let me, let me tell you, though, where we see love can go wrong, right? Because we can even see this didn't happen in Jesus' life, but Jesus gives us, gives us an example that we need to follow that many times we fail in. Love goes wrong when it's done to fill a void that only God can fill. So let me give you an example here. Jesus did not love his disciples so they would love him back. So his joy and his love did not come from those he was not dependent on those he loved. He was able to love because he was loved by his father. So his ability to pour out love he was not relying on those he was loving to give him the fuel to love. He was relying on the love he received from his father to be the fuel and the source to love others. See, love goes wrong whenever, and this is why it gets into the heart of loving, where some of you love others because you need love. And so you give love with the unconscious or conscious notion of if of you're desperate for love, you're hungry for love, so you give love. And if you don't get it back the way you think you should, it creates in you bitterness and a disdain and almost like you put this 
godlike expectations on a finite person. And when they didn't give you what you needed or what you wanted love-wise, what ends up happening is you damn them. When really in reality, what we see Jesus doing is he was able to selflessly love, but his source was not from those whom he loved. So he wasn't saying, James, Peter, and John, I love you, and then as I love you, you better show me love back so I can keep on showing you love. That wasn't his source. That's why it says so many times Jesus got away to be with his father. Why? Because he would be empty, and he needed to be refilled. So he would get away from those he was loving to be loved by God, his father, who has an endless source of love to give. So he then could receive that love and fill the love quota, the love tank inside of him, so then he could step out and love people, here's the key thing, without agenda, without a tit-for-tat mentality, without a, I love you, and you honest subconsciously have this, you better show me love back, and really what, what's going on inside of your heart is, is your loving so you can get something back. Let me tell you, that is not God-like love, agape love. You are setting yourself up for complete disaster if your love for somebody else is dependent on how they love you back. Anybody married? Anybody got friends? For some of you, this is gonna save your, save your life because you have a need for love. That, and, and here's what we do. We take finite people and put divine burdens on them that they were never meant to carry. We do it with spouses, we do it with friends. And if they don't love you back the way you want, then typically we react with, with a, well, you failed me, you haven't, da, 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 da. When in reality, what gives you the fuel to love people around you is the love that God fills you with. Is this making sense? And some of you, you wonder why your fuel runs out. It's because you're going to a source that dries up. You're going to a source that ends. The love of God never ends. Jesus even shows us that's why he got away. Why? Because he was human. I can't imagine loving these crazy disciples. But he knew he needed a source outside of the ones he was loving in order to have the, the fuel to love them the way that his father had loved him. Does that make sense? Fourthly, two more. Uh, love will look like losing at times. Jesus shows us that if you are going to love, it will look like losing to the culture. I don't know about you, but the cross that Jesus, when Jesus died, looked like a loss. But it was the greatest expression of love. Even the Pharisees were we're joking on Jesus, saying, you saved everyone else and you could not even save yourself. I don't know how Jesus did it. Like they was talking trash. I don't know about you, but I'd struggle with that. I'll show you my power, right? 
But the reason, the reason I'm telling you this is because when you love like Jesus, it will appear to some that you are losing. But here is the key. You have to ask, whose scorecard are you playing by? So whose scoreboard are you losing on? Because many times when you are losing in the eyes of the world and culture, you're winning in the sight of God. I thought that was a lot better point than what you guys gave me credit for. Because there will be many times you will love in the dark. And by the dark, I mean no one will see it. And you will love enemies. You will love your spouse. You will love people. And even to the outside world, they will say things like, why don't they just give? Like, man, it sucks to be them. Man, they, they should have just shot that email back. They should have just said this to them. But many times, that's why love in the eyes of the world will look like losing. But love, even though it looks like losing in God's scorecard, it actually, you are actually winning. Because even when you had Jesus on the cross, like I said, it looked like a loss. Like it, it looked like Jesus had lost. But that's what sometimes sacrificial love looks like, y'all. And that's why I think power, when, when, when we crave power, unfortunately what happens is, is we lose the heart of sacrificial love. That's why I think many times the church is struggling because they crave power so much. Jesus did not crave em the emperor's throne because he knew that was a crappy way to have power. What Jesus showed us was the way to real godlike love isn't through the path of power, it's through the path of sacrifice. But in that sacrifice, many times it will look like you are losing. But let me dive into my last point. Though love at times looks like you are losing, I want to encourage you with this. Love wins. Do you know how I know this? Even when Jesus came to earth, right? So, you know, and I mean, ha have y'all missed the part of the story in the Christmas story that's not told a whole lot in the real nice portrayals of the Christmas story? That there was a psycho, insane king who had all the babies killed in a certain region place because he was so scared of some other king being born? King Herod? Do a study on King Herod. I just, I, in, I don't know, maybe in the new year. <laughs> maybe not at Christmas. This guy was a psychopath, ruled through power and force, killed his own wife, killed his brothers. Before he died, he had, before he, he died of some sort of sickness, he had a bunch of his people in his like inner, inner leadership team killed because he was scared they were going to take the throne. I mean, absolutely barbaric. And so you had this big king, powerful ruler, King Herod, and a small little baby born in a nothing town. Power versus sacrifice. Power, what would look like winning, 
verse, the God who owned everything coming down and taking on the form of a baby. 2,000 years later, whose name do we still know? Whose name do we still worship? Who has billions of followers? It's a, spoiler alert, it's not Herod. Why? Because sacrificial love ultimately won and will win. You can come up, Jarvis, please. I got to end. Love will win. I believe, honestly, though, some of us struggle to believe that, that God's love will ultimately win. Because I think, let's just be candid, we are surrounded by a lot of losing. Any, anybody feel it? See, the Christmas many times, for some people, it's a joyous time. For, uh, for, for other people, it can, be a t- it, it can be a hellish time. Feelings of losing family members, the reminder of what you did not get as a child during Christmas season. It can just bring back a lot of different feelings and emotions from the past. And because it can look like there's a lot of losing going on, we can sometimes forget the fact that that God will ultimately win. And by we saying God will ultimately win is that love will ultimately, love wins, y'all. Jesus just did not beat sin 2,000 years back. He is still in the winning business now. And you know what I love about the love of God? Is it is the love of God that changes us. What, what do you mean by this, John? It is the love of God that changes us because some of you think you need to change and then God will love you. So you have this tit for tat mentality that your performance is what ultimately makes God love, 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 that makes God love you more. And what I would propose to you and what I see the gospel being in, in, in scripture, it's not change and then you'll be loved. It's love and then he loves you into changing. Because let me tell you, you cannot out the love of God, y'all. You can't outrun the love of God. You can't do it. You can, you can. But y'all, this is why it's such good news. That, that is why during this Christmas season, we can celebrate the lights and Santa, and we can celebrate all of these cultural Christianity things, but let us not miss, ultimately, when we're celebrating Christmas, we are celebrating the fact that love wins. It has won, it will win, and it will continue to win. And that's a great concept, but my question is, is have you accepted it in your life? Because some of you still tie the, the love of God to your performance or the love of God to you hitting a certain place where then you're good enough for God. Let me just remind you, you'll never be good enough for God. He made you good enough. Jesus did because of what he did, not because of what you did. So your performance does not mean you get into a certain place with God because of what Jesus did. He's already brought you up to a certain place with him. And now, but it is because of that that his love invites us to change. Like, it, it, it actually beckons us. It actually invites us. I mean, do you know beckon? That word simply means, come on. Like, you're loved. You know, some of us can be like, uh. And Jesus is like, yo, it's, come on. I love you. And love doesn't just win conceptually. Love will win in your life. And some, some of, of you, like, 
you have a concept of the love of God, but you haven't actually experienced it or accepted it for yourself because you have a different definition that God has. And what I'm asking all of us to do today is to bring all of our definitions to God of what love is, and let's experience love according to what his definition is. It has a cost. It's a labor. It's freedom and boundaries. Love will sometimes look like losing. But ultimately, I love what Paul said, Romans 8. He said, for I am convinced, and this is a guy that was killing Christians. This was a guy that had an experience with Jesus, knocked him off, off of his high horse, and literally transformed his life. He said, I'm convinced. And if anyone was convinced, no one thought this guy would be the one that would be convinced. He was convinced so much he'd kill Christians. He says, for I'm convinced of neither death nor life, Angels or demons, present, future, powers, height, depth, and anything else, all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in who? Christ. Friends, if you want to know what love is and what love's like, you've got to start with the definition of Jesus. Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us next Sunday online or in person. For service times, visit lifehousenn.com.